Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. So I want to continue tonight our study connected to the prayer sheet as uh, just some of the, 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 the things that we are, are studying. And, uh, you know, we, we do dive deep. We were talking just before the service about diving deep because if we're going to grow and mature, you know, it sometimes means we have to wrestle with ideas and topics that might not, that might not come easy to us, that might not sit well with us. You know, not everything in Scripture is going to be boom, right there, right in your face. You're going to be able to get the, the meaning um, immediately. And, and so sometimes it just takes time to get in and to think about it and let it kind of, you know, kind of stir in your mind a bit. And um, because we, we want to be able to do that. We don't want our faith to be surface level and, uh, you know, we want to put effort into dealing with these things if we're going to grow and if we're going to be stronger. And so, it, it, you know, it makes me think of, you know, my shoulder and, you know, it's been, I don't know how many weeks since I've had the surgery, four and a half weeks since I had the surgery. But, you know, what? if, if I didn't do, you know, I joke around saying that it, it was torture, no, no offense, Caitlin, uh, for physical therapists. Um, you know, I joke around that it's torture, but I mean, if I don't do the stretches and I don't do the exercises, it's going to atrophy, you know, it's just, eventually this arm's just going to kind of just lay there. And we, we don't want that. Now, normally in life, you know, my motto is no pain, no pain. I just want to stay, steer clear of it. But, you know, if I want to have full function of my arm, I mean, I'm just going to have to do it. Uh, you know, you know, it just put the effort into it, just plow through it. If I'm going to, to get this arm stronger uh, than, than it is right now. And, and maybe a lot of people that they, they don't have a deep faith because they, they, have, they, they don't go and wrestle with stuff and deal with stuff. I think sometimes a lot of people just use the excuse that, well, I don't understand it. You know, I don't understand scripture. I don't understand this about scripture. Well, take time to get the understanding. Take time to, 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 to deal with it. Because yeah, devotionals are good, but a two minute devotional isn't going to get you deep. And so sometimes we have to, you know, wrestle with the deep things. And, and even so, even when you wrestle with the deep things, you might not come to a fuller understanding, but at least you know, you'll have a fuller understanding of God's greatness. You'll have a full understanding of God's character and, and who he is. Um, you know, that he is a, a, a great God. And, and with us being in his hands, it is well uh, with our souls. And so, you know, when, when we look at a topic like God's uh, providence, you know, this is, this is what happens. We just kind of have to deal with it and you know, kind of work it out and think through the implications of what it means. But, you know, in the end, it means, you know, in the end, it means we can trust him because he has it in control and he's moving things according to his plan and purpose. Nothing catches him by surprise. And he's able to, you know, for, for all those who love him and are called according to his purpose, he's able to work these things out for our good ultimately and for the good of his church. But, you know, sometimes when we talk about uh, the topic of God's providence, 
um, a question might pop up having to do with, okay, the existence of sin. If God is providential, you know, how do you account for the presence of sin and evil in God's creation if God is sovereign? If God is in control of everything, how can he hold me accountable for my sins? And, you know, there's probably a lot of other questions we could come up with. Um, you know, we just got to think things through. And so, you know, we think these things through and to human logic, to purely human logic, it doesn't make sense. Does God know the future? Yes. Is God able to control all things? Yes. Did God know before he created Satan and the angels that they would rebel, those that did rebel? Yes. Did God know before he created the universe and humanity that they would be tempted and that they would rebel and fall? Yes. Could God in his providence have stopped all of it? Yes. So why didn't he? Well, that's where the wrestling begins. I don't have the answer to that because that is in God's plan and timing. We do know in regard to man and the fall that we're told in Ephesians that God, before the foundation of the world, already had the plan of salvation in place. So we wrestle with, with these things. You know, we've been using creeds and confessions to help us deal with some of these important doctrines and, and to think these things through. And, and yes, sometimes they can be headache-inducing, but you know, it, how are we gonna know God better if we don't, if we don't try and, and deal with these, with these topics? And so the creeds and confessions, you know, they're, they're summaries of biblical teaching um, now, yes, some of the creeds and confessions, they come from a certain theological point of view. So, um, you know, we might not agree with everything uh, that, that they say, but at least they're a starting point for us to deal with the, the scripture. And, and so as of late, I've been using the second London Baptist Confession of Faith because we're Baptists and, and things like that. So using that as a starting point. And so it, it looks like a lot, but I read quickly. Uh, uh, well, I'd, I like to say that I speak and read quickly, but sometimes I don't. But hopefully you can read quickly too. But I just want to read these final paragraphs of what it has to say about God's providence. And, and so it says, The almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God are so thoroughly demonstrated in his providence that his sovereign plan includes even the first fall and every other sinful action, both of angels and humans. God's providence over sinful actions does not occur by simple permission, but by a form of permission that God most wisely and powerfully limits and in other ways arranges and governs. Through a complex arrangement of methods, he channels sinful actions to accomplish his perfectly holy purposes. Yet he does this in such a way that the sinfulness of their acts arises only from the creatures and not from God because God is altogether holy and righteous. He can neither originate nor approve of sin. <clears throat> the perfectly wise, righteous, and gracious God often allows his own children for a time to experience a variety of temptations and the sinfulness of their own hearts. He does this to chastise them for their former sins or to make them aware of the hidden strength of the corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts so that they may be humbled. 
He also does this to lead them to a closer and more constant dependence on him to sustain them, to make them more cautious about all future circumstances that may lead to sin and for other just and holy purposes. So whatever happens to any of his elect happens by his appointment for his glory and for their good. God, as the righteous judge, sometimes blinds and hardens wicked and ungodly people because of their sins. He withholds his grace from them by which they could have been enlightened in their understanding and had their hearts renewed. Not only that, but sometimes he also takes away the gifts they already had and exposes them to situations that their corrupt natures turn into opportunities for sin. Moreover, he gives them over to their own lusts, the temptations of the world and the power of Satan so that they harden themselves in response to the same influences that God uses to soften others. The providence of God in a general way in a general way includes all creatures, but in a special way it takes care of his church and arranges all things for its good or to its good. And, and so God's providence extends to even the sinful acts of his creatures where his creatures, they choose to sin and somehow God can take their choices and use it to move his plan. Yet he himself is perfectly holy. He is perfectly pure. He is not the author of sin. He cannot be a partaker of sin. He cannot tempt anyone to sin, but humans do sin, and God can take their choices and move his plan along. Now, our, our human minds cannot fully wrap around this, but God knew that sin would be introduced into his perfect creation. He created everything. He said it was very good, and yet he also knew that sin would come. He allowed it to come. And then he's able to take it and use it for his own good purposes. We've, I've used the story of Joseph before. Joseph's brothers, in their sin, chose to sell him into slavery, and God used their choice to bring it about that Jacob and the family would be brought to Egypt so that they would be saved from the famine, and that would be their starting point hundreds of years later for their journey to the promised land. Another story that we could say demonstrates God's providence in this way is that he's actually able to use the wrong motives of people and nations as instruments of his, as we'll read here in Isaiah, instruments of discipline. But those people, they're responsible for their choices. They're responsible for their sin. And so God will judge them for their sin. What am I talking about? I'm talking about, for example, here in Isaiah 10, where Isaiah says, I'll read it here in a minute, but let me give just a quick summary. Um, God is going to use Assyria to punish the northern kingdom of Israel. But Assyria is just a bloodthirsty, evil, wicked nation. And you know, they, they are attacking Israel out of their own greed, out of their own hate, out of their own wickedness. And so God is going to judge them because of that wickedness. But yet God is able to take their nefarious reasons and use it as a tool of his 
So what does it say here in Isaiah 10? God says, I sent him, Assyria, against a godless nation, the northern kingdom of Israel. I ordered him to attack the people with whom I was angry, to take plunder and to carry away loot, to trample them down like dirt in the streets. But he does not agree with this. His mind does not reason this way, for his goal is to destroy and to eliminate many nations. So, right, God, their, their own motivations are completely wrong. Assyria's motivations are wrong. So he says in verse 12, but when the sovereign master finishes judging Mount Zion and Jerusalem, which is what he's using Assyria for, then he will punish the king of Assyria for what he has proudly planned and for the arrogant attitude he displays. And so Assyria was a very proud, prideful warrior nation. They wanted to kill, loot, destroy, you know, the, the, the whole bit. Since that was already in their heart, God in turn used them as an instrument of discipline against the northern kingdom of Israel. Assyria took them into captivity. But then Assyria obviously sinned in their actions and attitudes, so they too would fall under God's judgment. When you read some of the later prophets, God says the same thing about Babylon. Babylon took the southern kingdom of Judah into captivity. They were an instrument of God's discipline against his people. But they were wicked, they had wrong motivations, they, and so God would judge them as well. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, they wanted to conquer nations for their own wicked benefit. I mean, yes, God allowed them to carry that, carry that along, but they would not go unpunished. So that's a, that's a little bit deep. That's a little bit headache-inducing. God would allow Assyria to, and Babylon to follow through with their wickedness as a means of discipline, but at the same time being just, he would discipline, he would judge them for what they have done. So, it, you know, that, that's kind of a big summary of, the, of that first paragraph or an example maybe of what he's trying to say in, in that, that first paragraph. But, you know, in thinking of God's providence and sin, you know, if, if he's that providential to use the sinful choices of mankind, is he not providential then to prevent sin? And he is. So we then might ask the question, okay, there, there's a, all of us have a, tendon, have a, a tendency, have a habit of some sort of sin, some sort of tendency, and we wonder, you know, why doesn't God take that away? Why does God allow me to fall into sin? Or, you know, in the way that I put it to myself, why doesn't God just kind of zap me with some holiness? You know, there's holiness, you know, and then I wouldn't, I wouldn't do what I do. I wouldn't think what I think. I wouldn't take on the attitude that I take on. Why, why doesn't God just zap me so I won't 
continue doing the same thing over and over again. And, you know, then we, we see that sometimes God does take away sin. We, we've all heard the, the wonderful testimonies of someone coming to a saving faith in Jesus Christ and, and they were an alcoholic and boom, all of a sudden the, just the taste of it. For alcohol, the desire, the addiction was taken away immediately or drugs or, or something like that. We hear those stories, but then we also know that, okay, I have this habitual sin, habitual habit, thought pattern that I deal with constantly over and over again. Why doesn't God do something about that? Well, sometimes God allows sin in our lives to do a work of sanctification and growth within us. He allows us to struggle so that we'll grow. Sometimes, this is according, you know, to, to paragraph number five. Uh, but, but you've heard of the illustration of the butterfly, how the butterfly has to struggle to get out of the cocoon because by that struggle, its wings become stronger. If the butterfly did not go through that struggle, it wouldn't be able to fly because its wings wouldn't have gotten strong enough. And so the, God might use the sin that we struggle with to mature us, to grow us, to, to cause us to, um, for lack of a better term, get us some learning. He might allow us to go through it. So as the uh, fifth paragraph summarizes, the perfectly wise, righteous, and gracious God often allows his own children for a time to experience a variety of temptations and the sinfulness uh, of their own hearts. And, you know, there, there's maybe many different ways or reasons for this. It might be, as it says, to chastise us for our former sins. God uses current sin to discipline us. Sometimes we deal with the consequences of our sinful choices. And, uh, you know, it kind of carries with us. I mean, alcoholic might have to deal with the cirrhosis of the liver or, you know, things like that. Um, or he allows the sin to have its way with us in order to humble us so that we understand just how corrupt sin is, how deceitful sin is. Yes, we are saved. We're in Christ. We're a new creation. But sometimes that, that leads to a pride that, oh yeah, I've got it, I've got it made. I'm, 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 I'm going to do this on my own. It, it, it leads to some sort of independence. And God, lets, through our sin, teaches us, yeah, you're not all that. You don't have it all together. You need me. You can't do this apart from me. So he reminds us of, of the sinfulness of sin, or as Jeremiah 17, 9 says, you know, the heart or the human mind, the heart is like the central processing unit of, of the human being. And so, you know, the net says the human mind, other versions say the heart is deceitful more than anything else. It is desperately wicked. It is incurably bad. And who can understand it? We, we don't, sometimes God allows us to struggle with our sins so we truly see the deceitfulness of sin and how easy it is for us to give into the flesh when we try and do things on our own. 
Because our heart, is, I don't know about you, but my heart is pretty good at deception. I mean, my heart is so good, it can deceive me into thinking that it isn't being deceitful. That's how, that's how good it is at it. And, and so sometimes God allows sin in our lives to show us how bad sin really is. Sometimes God allows sin in our lives to teach us we have to depend on him, that we need to run to him. Lord, I can't, get, I can't do this. I can't get rid of that. I can't run to Jesus, run to our Savior. We come to a realization. I, I like the way that the psalmist put it in Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8. We learn to patiently wait for God alone, my soul, for he is the one who gives me hope. He alone is my protector and deliverer. He is my refuge. I will not be shaken. God delivers me and exalts me. God is my strong protector and my shelter. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our shelter. I think of what Paul, you know, says about in, in Romans 7 about that struggle with sin, the things that I want to do. I don't do the things I don't do. You know, I don't want to do. That's what I, I do. Who is going to save me? How am I going to get out of this? Who's going to save me from the wretched man that I am. Thank God, Jesus Christ. That's who. And so sometimes God allows sin in our lives to remind us we can't save ourselves. We need a Savior. And we constantly, continually run to Jesus Christ. I need Christ every man. You know, I think of the song, I need him. Oh, how I need him every hour. Uh, who am I kidding? Every second, I need him. I mean, I need him. Um, now, sometimes God allows sin in our lives to protect us from future sin or at least to prepare us to see if we would pass the test or not. You know, if, if we learn our lesson, again, get us some learning. Are we going to learn our lesson? So I, I think of uh, something that happened with Hezekiah and the people. So the, there, there was a point in time, Hezekiah, I mean, he was a good king, but he and the people were prideful. And so God made sure that they knew they were prideful. And maybe they could learn a lesson from it. But as we'll see, Hezekiah did not learn the lesson. He did not learn the lesson. So in, in 2 Chronicles 32, 25 and 26, it says, but Hezekiah was ungrateful. He had a proud attitude, provoking God to be angry at him, as well as Judah and Jerusalem. But then Hezekiah and the residents of Jerusalem humbled themselves and abandoned their pride, and the Lord was not angry with them for the rest of Hezekiah's reign. Eh, awesome. So far, so good. They repented. God pointed out their pride. They noticed their pride. They confessed their pride. They repented of their pride. Perfect. And you would think, hey, I might not want to get prideful again. You would think. Not but five verses later, in, in verse 31 of 2 Chronicles 32, it tells us that I, some envoys arrived from Babylonian officials to visit Hezekiah. 
and, and just to inquire about with the sign that occurred in the land, things that were happening in the land. And so God left him, left Hezekiah alone to test him in order to know his true motives. So, the Babylonians come along, oh, hey, what's going on? What, how, we hear some neat things were happening here in Judah. They were allowed, they were sent of God to test Hezekiah. Did he learn his lesson about pride five verses prior? Obviously, there's a amount of time in between there, but. Well, according to the rest of the story, Hezekiah was just so proud of everything that he accomplished. He was so proud about everything that he accumulated that he took these Babylonian envoys and he showed these officials all around Jerusalem and showed them all of the riches in Jerusalem that he owned or he acquired or, you know, it was all about him. Look at what I did. Yeah, he didn't learn his lesson. And so God, through the prophet, said that everything that he showed the Babylonians would be carried away to Babylon at some later point. And typical human, he gets told all these things, everything that you showed these Babylonians, which was everything, everything you showed these Babylonians are gonna be carried off to Babylon. What's he worried about? Is it gonna happen while I'm still alive? No, it's gonna to happen to one of your descendants. Oh, okay, as long as it doesn't happen when I'm around. He didn't learn the lesson. His past pride should have taught him a lesson to prevent future pride, but it didn't. And so maybe God is allowing us to struggle with this sin now so that later down the road when a temptation comes, we don't do that. We won't do that. Don't be, don't be like Hezekiah in that. But not only does God use the sin in the lives of his people, he can also use it in the lives of unbelievers to fulfill his plans and purposes. What we find is that God will use the sins of unbelievers to blind them and to harden their hearts even further so that he can use them for his purposes. Um, we're told that unrepentant sinners, if they, they just wanna go headlong into their sin, they are given over to their sin instead of the grace of God freeing them from their sin. We are warned about this judgment in Romans chapter one, for example, Romans 1, 24. Therefore God gave them over in the desires of their hearts to impurity, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And three times in, in you know, that, that section, he, it says, God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. Guess what's happening in our nation right now? God gave them over. God gave us over. You wanna sin? You don't wanna repent? I'm giving you over. Go for it. So, but then God is able to use these hardened sinners for his purposes. So consider Pharaoh and his dealings with the people of Israel. Pharaoh was an idolatrous, hard-hearted 
idolater, sinner. I mean, he, he was proud. He thought he was a god. He didn't recognize Yahweh as anyone important. You know, when Moses and Aaron came to him, and well, you know, the Lord, Yahweh, he, he says, you need to let us go so we can, who? And Pharaoh's like, who's Yahweh? Why should I listen to him? And, you know, all those judgments came. You would think after some of those judgments that Pharaoh would go, hmm, you know, there's a bit of a correlation here. Maybe I ought to listen to what they're saying. But listen to how it's described in Exodus. In Exodus 7.3, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And although I will multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt, you know, he's not going to let you go. But then, so after, you know, the judgments, and this is kind of a theme that's repeated over and over again, but for example, in Exodus 8.15, it says that when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not listen to them, just as the Lord had predicted. Pharaoh's heart was hardened by his own sinful choices, but then God confirmed that hard heart and used that hard heart for his purposes. So he used Pharaoh's own hard heart to cause Pharaoh to lead his armies to follow the people of God. And after they had crossed the Red Sea, he used, okay, you know, you, you would think common sense says, all right, the Red Sea probably should not be like that. I don't know if I want to follow the end of there, but his heart was so hard, he didn't care. He wanted to get those Jews back. And so he led his army straight down the middle of where God had split the Red Sea. And then once all of the army was in the middle of the Red Sea, destroyed them all. God used Pharaoh's hard heart to lead them to their own judgment. Now, we might not be able to fully grasp God's providential control over everything, but according to, you know, paragraph seven, and, 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 and we know this, God uses it for the good of his people, for the good of, we, the church, are his people. Now, he uses it for our good, and he uses it for his glory. And so we can trust him that he, whatever might be happening in our lives, God is moving toward something in his ultimate plan. I mean, we may not know what it is, but he's moving towards something. And just, um, we pray that, you know what, we want to be a part of it. And Lord, May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, whatever you provident, however you want to providentially use me to make you known and to make Christ known and to, sh and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people know that Jesus saves, here I am. Let's be like Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. 
For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.